0: big Mike what's up brother hey Noah how you doing good dude how are you doing well can you can you hear me okay I can now
1: can you hear me yes I can nice dude let's rip it so um for those of you listening in the future uh we have Noah Ryan today joining us on the podcast how you doing Noah I'm doing great I appreciate you having me on so Noah, you are responsible for sending me down a ton of rabbit holes uh, on in the <laughs> in the biohacking sphere. Uh, so myself personally, in my in my early twenties, I got really interested in biohacking and just my health. Um, I was training martial arts in my early twenties, uh, but I was definitely struggling with some feelings of anxiety and depression. I had uh, a major concussion when I was like 15. So I was always worried about the implications of a few of those concussions that I had and uh, what that would mean for my health in the future. Um, So I think that's what really started me on my biohacking journey. Um, But then when I found you on Twitter, the way that you're able to share what you do and your insights, in my opinion, are second to none. Um, at least with who I follow on Twitter. So first of all, thank you for taking the time to share all of that and uh, do the research that you do because I know that it takes a ton of time.
0: Hey man, I appreciate that. And it is an entirely selfish endeavor. I do it because (laughs) it makes me feel like these rabbit holes are justified. And it makes me feel good. Um, I noticed that (laughs) I don't know if it's just a vain pursuit, but I really, really like the process of taking something super complex and then conveying it in a way that makes sense to say a toddler. So uh, it's just always how I learned. And I was like, this is a great way for me to do it in a way that is more like has more external accountability. And honestly, you know, that's how, why I started doing it. That continues to be the reason why I do it. And, you know, it's people that say stuff like that. Like, that's probably the best compliment I can get is, you know, you, you sent me down a rabbit hole and that's what I want to do. So I appreciate that, Michael.
1: That's awesome. Um, so, so now how did you get started on your biohacking journey? Tell me a little bit about your health journey. Like, you know, were you always interested in this? Um, Was there a major event or just something that you got interested in over time?
0: Yeah. Well, it's funny. It's very similar to yours, but you know, with every single process or endeavor, it, it, it has levels to it, right? So I've always been big into health and I've been big into fitness because when I was a kid, I was anxious. I had ADHD, but most importantly, I was small. And my deepest core childhood memories were me getting pinned in wrestling, me getting thrown around the football field. And that feeling of helplessness, of not being in control was so impactful for me. And I realized that to be a common uh you know it's it's just pervasive throughout my childhood is the hatred of not feeling in control so the one thing i could control was obviously my inputs and outputs of my body what did i eat mm. and what did i do and i just got obsessed with weightlifting. i watched the movie warrior with tom hardy and great movie a, man great movie it's the most uh yeah it was the most impactful movie that i've ever watched but that's what got me into fitness and i got jacked i got really jacked and i got strong i was obsessed with it it's all i thought about that was like my whole identity but, um, you know, once I got to that point where I was jacked, you start realizing that that's not everything. And I started realizing how much my diet and my activities impacted not just my physical state, but my mental state. And that was the whole reason I got into it is because it was so much harder for me to change my mental state than it was to change like my physical state. Mm. Um, but it, it was similar to you, I got a few concussions that impacted my memory, and they impacted my verbal fluency. And those were two of the things that I prided myself with, right? I thought that I had a photographic memory, I was really good at articulating myself. And both of those were somewhat taken from me. And it was a very existential period where everyone was telling me like, that's just the way it is. Don't get another one. And once I went, once again, I went back to that initial mindset where it's like, well, I refuse and I'm going to do what I can to figure it out. And I did that and it just, opened the doors to the opportunities. And that's how I found things like nootropics. That's how I found just understanding mm-hmm. these topics like brain inflammation and mitochondrial function and improving my gut health and, you know, parasites, heavy metals, and all these things that every time I implemented them, my symptoms got better. And I just felt better. And at a point, you know, it just felt like these veils were being lifted. And that's when I became obsessed.
1: It's It's funny that you said that nootropics were one of your first uh, you said it was like one of the first things that you started messing around with. Yep. So me too. Um, I don't know why I I was trying to think about that today as I was just going over uh, things that I want to talk with you about. I think when I'm, when I'm going back in my mind, I think I listened to a podcast with Rogan and Aubrey Marcus, and it was early on when they created or when Aubrey Marcus created um, on it and alpha they were, brain, and they they're pumping alpha brain. And I was looking for supplements to take that I think would maybe help me focus and stuff like that. And, um, I started messing around with L-theanine. I started taking that with my coffee in the morning and then I got into nootropics as well. And I started to mess around with all the, uh, I think they're like the race tams and, and, um, yeah. all those, uh, for, for a couple of years. And I think the point that I was missing was that I needed to fix my body first in order to fix my mind. Um, Mm -hmm. so, so what was your, what was your process like? So you started messing around with nootropics and then where did you really go from there and, and how? So, I
0: guess I kind of came at it from a different approach. But first of all, to preface with nootropics, the reason that they're so enticing is because they're easy, right? right? Why would I change my entire lifestyle when there's a pill that'll promise to make me smarter, think faster, be more confident, be stronger? So that's just a no-brainer. That's human inclination. And that's just like- our natural tendency to want to find the path of least resistance. But, you know, I was being prescribed a lot of pharmaceuticals that I was not needing to be prescribed whatsoever. So I was coming from that world, right? I was on SSRIs. I was on Adderall medication, I was like on Adderall and things like that. And then of course they're like, Oh, well, like the Adderall is keeping you up at night. I'm like, no, it's not like, all right, we're going to prescribe you this anyway. to like, help you go to sleep. So I was a victim of the horrible mass prescribing primary care mishap that is pervasive throughout the states and that's what Mm -hmm. i'm so passionate about but i came around with that so it was more about me digging into pharmacology right Mm -hmm. and understanding pharmacology i was lucky enough to have some people in my family that were you know part of like in medicine but once again like that means nothing, right? I I think an MD at this point, unless you're someone who's operating outside the bounds of traditional medicine is almost like an anti credibility thing. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. I respect all doctors. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so I started coming at it from a pharmacological standpoint, because that's what I knew. And that's what I was being exposed to. So it's like, how can I manipulate what I'm taking pharmacologically? And you know, from prescription wise, and that kind of led me to that. I'm like, wait a minute, there's natural solutions that can also help me with this that I can go a little bit more free range and go full cowboy with so i guess that's how i came into it um but like really the best changes that happened were not nootropic related at all it was it wasn't even about adding new things like herbs or supplements or foods it was about removing things removing Mm. things was what was the biggest needle mover
1: and what were some of those that you alcohol
0: (laughs) well i was i was a big partier in college so i was partying and then i was going out i was eating junk food all the time right and i was i was fit But I wasn't healthy, right? I was fit from a muscular skeletal standpoint. But from a cellular standpoint, I was horribly unhealthy, which is a big difference. It's a big difference. And I do notice now it's like, I used to not be able to see that I used to look at someone with a six pack and like solid muscle mass and be like that guy's healthy. But now that I know, and now that I know the signs of what is true metabolic and mitochondrial health, I can look at someone and say like, wow, like, you're jacked and stuff, but you're definitely not healthy. But anyway, yeah. So that was like the biggest thing for me. It was removing certain things from my diet, primarily processed foods, which is a no brainer and it's cliche, but it's true. It's like the biggest thing that you can do finding certain food sensitivities that I was able to remove and then removing, um, you know, toxins, I think was the biggest one for me. I, uh, here's the deal. Some people are better at natural detox than others so they're able to be exposed okay. to more toxins whether it be things like heavy metals primarily maybe it's it's even things like uh, pfas and maybe even microplastics some people don't have that effective detox pathways i believe and a lot of times it comes down to mutations in the mthfr gene which you probably heard a lot with like the whole um, inability to have proper methylation well i don't I, I haven't tested for the mthfr gene which is stupid of me i should and i highly recommend everybody else should but i do know that my detox pathways are suboptimal So a lot of it came down to fortifying those detox pathways, removing things that are inhibiting me from having proper detox, primarily being alcohol and junk food and other contaminants like that. And stop like just, you know, bathing in in toxic environments and then really, really focusing on improving my gut health and liver function as a whole. Those were the biggest needle movers.
1: How, how, and now how long until you started changing your lifestyle and habits, did you start to really start to feel different?
0: So it's so cyclical, right? It's two steps forward, three steps backwards, big leap forward and a big leap backwards. But I really had, I had like my true whole mindset shift uh, my junior year of college. So I studied abroad in Thailand and it was everything I ever wanted, right? I was in Bangkok. I was living this nomad lifestyle that I wanted. I was just roughnecking it, right? Like just on the back of motorcycles going through this crazy city. But like looking back on it, I every single meal I ate was just literally uh, seed oil soup. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I, I, I was, figured it's
1: got to be tough to eat or maintain a healthy lifestyle, especially if you don't really know where you're going or aren't really familiar with everything uh, in the places that you're in.
0: Yeah, 100%. And I was very um, oblivious back then, maybe even ignorant, but I just I didn't have the knowledge that I know. I was very fit. I was very fit. Um, But I was not healthy. And that six month endeavor in Southeast Asia, where I was going from Bangkok to Ho Chi Minh City to Hanoi to all the most polluted cities in the (laughs) world, you know, like imbibing in the culture, drinking every single day, like a like a madman, um, eating street food every single day, every single meal. And I used to eat a lot like I still eat a lot, but I was like, you know, bulking. So I was eating a lot. That had such a significant impact on my health that I didn't realize, but I look at the picture of me, the first day I got to Thailand, the first day I got to Bangkok, and then the first day I got back and I looked like a different person, I was bloated, I just looked unhealthy and I And I think that was the process, the the starting point of me accumulating a lot of toxins, because I was just in a polluted environment to begin with, I was drinking polluted water, I was eating polluted and contaminated food. And you know, all those toxins, particularly heavy metals, they accumulate in your body, Mm. and my activities were impeding my body's natural process of detoxing. And I noticed it, I just, I looked different. And I think that's the biggest one, because that's what you notice first. Um, so when I went there though, I had like one of those light bulb moments where it's like, cool. Like up until this point, I really just been like partying and living a life that like other people want me to live, but there's so much more to this world. And it was a very formative experience for me. So then when I got back to school, I spent another like four months kind of living in that more fraternity, you know, college (laughs) party environment. But then, um, I went and I got my own apartment and that's when I really opened up to my real self just having time alone for the first time ever and just like enjoying time alone. I started really getting into books. I started really getting into self-development as a whole. I started indulging in my own proclivities and interests, right? At that mm. time, I also started with like my first, I, I was in the tech world for a while and I really started with my first you know, tech company and that was really big and that really forced me to punch my way up and really change myself. And that kind of opened the door to that idea of you can really change who you are. It was when I graduated college that I had the big shift where it's like, cool, I'm still hanging on to that old self, that old person who I was, where I never really explored that deeper aspect of me or who I could be. And I knew I was unhappy. I knew that this wasn't sustainable. So um, I went back to Minnesota and I spent like six months just reinventing myself entirely, cutting myself off from the entire world, just like grinding super hard with my startup and then also starting some like side projects as well in marketing which is what I still do to this day and the whole time just like figuring out who i was and i think that was the biggest thing and a lot of it was psychological but that coincided so heavily with like the actual biological and physical improvements as
1: well the the relationship between the the psychological and the and the physical or the physiological is uh is so real and and i think a lot of people um don't don't understand that and i think a big part of what you're saying or at least something that i'm learning over the last few years more than um ever before is the impact of our environment on our health and um the opportunities it lends and also uh the things that we don't notice um accumulating over time and i like that you said that you didn't realize it until you came home and you saw a picture of before and after and then and then also when you got your own space, it gave you literal space to um, start to to view yourself differently, or at least to see yourself in a different light. And uh, that's something that I'm thinking about more now than ever. Having been born and raised, lived my entire life in New York City, um, I never considered my environment to be toxic. Like you know what I'm saying? Like before COVID, I didn't really start to think about living in another part of the country because. I, I kind of like New York City. I I have my things that I dislike about it, but I've traveled a bunch and I appreciate other cultures and I learn so much as I travel. But having a home base, um, my family, the communities I'm involved in, uh, it never made me think about living in a different place until I started to think about how toxic my environment could be.
0: Uh, absolutely and some people are more susceptible to their environment environment than others but all humans have a natural proclivity to be influenced by their environment. we're really really good at adapting that's what made us so right. successful at dissipating right there's there's no other species that's been able to survive in so many different environments than we have We are the real chameleons like we are right. really the species that's able to adapt and people don't appreciate that. There are some people that are able to wall themselves off from their environments, but that's not good. That's I, I don't think that's good either. I think the ability to be influenced by your environment is a skill, it's an adaptation. Mm. But it can go the wrong way if you're in an environment that is not beneficial for you. And I realized that I realized how influenced I was by my environment. Because when I left that college environment, I completely changed who I was. I didn't watch football anymore. And I watched football every single week for the last four years. But the second I wasn't around my friends who were watching football, I didn't care about it. I started caring about other things. I started looking at things differently. And I realized how quickly I was able to adapt and Mm. how much Novel environments are important, right? Because I was looking at a lot about like, how do, how do I induce neurogenesis when I had that brain issue, right? I was like, how can I rebuild my brain? And I was like, give me a drug, give me a pill, give me anything. <laughs> and what they were saying is like, like, new stimulating, like new stimulating environments, that was the number one thing you could do stimulate yourself with new environments. And I was like, Oh, well, I don't like that answer, but okay, let's do it. And that's when I realized every time I go to a new place, light bulbs go off in my head. Yes. I feel great. I feel like a new person. So that's honestly how I got into the whole nomadic living. And that's really what I've been committing to up until this day.
1: So so now how so explain that the nomadic living. So you said that you got that itch when you went to Thailand. So now what have you been doing since? Have you, so you said you're from Minnesota? Re- yeah. originally? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I haven't been back there in a while, but I always knew that I loved new environments. I always did. I remember summer camp. The first time I went to summer camp, it was the best thing in the world. I was like king of the world. I was the guy. The second time I went to summer camp, it was boring and I was I, I didn't like it at all. I wanted to leave. Same thing with like going to a new school. The first year of the new school, it was awesome. I loved it. I was king of the world. Second year, I was bored and I wanted to do a new thing. So I've just found that for me naturally, I work really well with new environments. New novel environments are my thing. They keep me stimulated. I think it's also very natural. Like humans are extremely nomadic. Yeah. So, you know, I committed to that when, when I went to Thailand, I'm like, this is the life that I want to live. This is the life that I need to live. And I put all my chips in my basket of figuring out ways that I could optimize for that. And it worked super, super well and really pushing for that. Then COVID happened and that made it a little bit more difficult, but um, really just focusing on skills that I could use independent of location. And then all the plan was always to go back to Thailand, but unfortunately because of COVID, it didn't work so well. Okay. Um, and then I was in South America. I was in Peru, actually. And I was like, well, maybe I'll just go to somewhere in Latin America. I already spoke Spanish and then I just booked the ticket and it's all worked out since.
1: Really cool. All right. So you've been in from, so from Thailand next, you then lived in South America for a little bit. And now are you still in South America now?
0: So, so I'm in Mexico and cool. I've, I've been in Mexico off and on for like the last year and a half or so. It's super convenient. Um, you know, same time zone as the United States. I really like the culture. Uh, I speak Spanish, so that's really helpful. Nice. And, you know, I started kind of building communities here uh, in a few hubs. And I realize, you realize when you go kind of more nomadic, how important communities are and how important relationships are and how, when you're kind of living that nomadic lifestyle You may acquire a lot of acquaintances, but you don't have a lot of true friends. And I just knew as I got older that that's super important. One of the things that I've done a lot is look at the mistakes and regrets of the elderly, people on their deathbed. What are some of the biggest regrets that they have? Because they have more experience. And one of the biggest ones is like, I wish that I would have stayed in touch with my friends more because they get to that point where they're old, they're about to die. They have no one. And they try to reach out to their friends, but it's too late. They no longer have their contact info or they're already dead or, you know, they're just completely disabled and you're alone. And that's always scared me. And I realized how important relationships are. So that's been a big focus of mine the last year or so. It's cultivate and appreciate relationships because they are the most important thing in the world.
1: So what are some ways that you've done that in, uh, in Mexico city where you are?
0: Um, I mean, first of all, just like really being there for people, you know, and I think that's the biggest thing. It's just like, Give, 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 don't ask. Like the relationship in itself is like what I get from this trade, right? And I think that's really important for me. Um, Also, you know, making concessions. Like I don't really like being in cities that much, but I make concessions to spend time with people that I care about. And that may be, you know, spending a little bit of time in a city. But I think the most important thing is just like staying in touch with people, right? Because I have friends from high school, I have friends from college, and you naturally drift apart. And it requires effort to keep those relationships alive and keep them in a way where it doesn't feel, you know, distant. And that's really been a big focus of mine. And it's a skill that you acquire. But like being able to, you know, kind of re-fortify those relationships that I felt starting to drift away has been
1: really important for me recently. So, so that, that nomadic lifestyle definitely forces you to view your health. I mean, you're, you're obviously a big health guy. So that nomadic lifestyle obviously view, forces you to view your health in a full spectrum, holistic kind of way to the point where your relationships are impacting your health, or you're realizing that relationships and community and all of that does impact your health. And that's something that, that I've uh, had to lean into more over the last couple of years myself as well. Um, Especially the community aspect more than anything, realizing what communities I was benefiting from, um, uh, you know, seeking out new communities that I think that I could uh, join and be a part of and actually contribute to. And uh, that's something that I'm trying to be more mindful of myself, the whole community aspect.
0: Yeah. And you know, that's been a big shift for me. I know a lot of the content I talk about is very tactical, right? It's like, yeah. how are your NAD levels? Like right, are you right. supplementing with taurine? That's right. not what's going to save you, right? I just find that stuff interesting. What I really realize the deeper I get into this is the simpler, the better. And the biggest impacts on your health are your behaviors and your thoughts and your actions. So, you know, I'm I'm slowly kind of changing up how I tweet about this stuff and how I talk about this stuff. I do a lot of my telegram and that's where it's a little bit more personal, right? Okay. I'm really just talking about like, here's the things that have made me healthy and like helped me because the entire reason I got into this health stuff was because I was unhappy. Like I was right. depressed and I felt powerless and I refuse to feel that way anymore. So it's just been a constant pursuit to kind of keep that away, right? And keep outpacing that natural inclination for depression. So, you know, I just realize as I get more into this, that I could be optimizing all that I want. I could have the perfect supplementation stack. I could have the perfect lifestyle, right. avoid all toxins, avoid all contaminants. But if I'm sitting alone in my room with no one to talk to right. with no relationships, I will still be the sickest person ever. Now I come like I transpose that to, I- I'd say almost a year ago, I was living on a beach in Oaxaca and Objectively speaking, not a healthy lifestyle. I was eating tacos every day. I was drinking beer. I was, I was smoking weed. I was doing all of the vices. And I was just like being a lazy bum and surfing. But I look at that timeline. My business was doing better than it ever was. I was happier than I ever was because I was looking at my journal notes. And it's like I haven't had a single like feeling of anxiety wow. in X number of weeks. My baseline stress was super low because I, I do a good job at staying quantitative with this stuff and monitoring times when I go above and below baseline. I was objectively above baseline that entire time that I was living on the beach and I wasn't technically healthy. So I was looking deeper into that. And then I was looking at, you know, the whole debate over the Mediterranean diet and the blue yes. zones, right? The biggest factor with all those blue zones was their connection with community and staying active and staying young, right? Playing games, having those friendships that maybe involve vices or unhealthy things like alcohol and cigarettes. So I think that's the most important, man. And I think the most important thing for me now is just like doing meaningful work because not like doing like work that means nothing to me is the best way for me to just absolutely divulge into being unhealthy.
1: Soul crushing.
0: It's soul crushing and it affects your body. It affects my face. I look different. (laughs) I look different when I'm unhappy with what I'm doing. So that's my biggest focus now. It's just like do work that makes me feel good. And I've started to do that a lot more really just focusing on helping people. I noticed that other people's problems are always more interesting than my own. And like, I've always noticed that. That's why I've loved like the service-based model with like my marketing agency. It's like, I just love going in and solving other people's problems because you get a fresh perspective. And there's so many variables that you can play with. It's a lot more fun than trying to solve my own. So really focusing on that, honestly, has been the biggest thing for my health.
1: (laughs) That's it. I, I couldn't agree more. And that's something that, like I was saying, I'm making sense of more in the, uh, in the more recent stages of my, my health journey. Do you think that that's the natural progression of, you know, starting your quote unquote health journey or biohacking journey where you'll start to try to search for that, that quicker fix, because that might be just more innately human, like you were saying. And then over time, if you're still pushing forward, eventually you'll start to realize, oh, wow. I could, like you said, have the perfect stack of supplements, eating all my pasture raised meat, (laughs) <laughs> and my raw milk, everything that the, that the Twitter gurus are telling us to do. But if I have no one to relate with or be in r- relationship with to share this life, none of it means anything. So do you think that that's the natural progression?
0: It is. It is an entirely natural learning curve that is pervasive across all disciplines. This doesn't apply directly to health. The expert and the master always lives a simple life right? They Mm -hmm. always live a simple life. There's not a lot of variables. They do their thing and they do it well. And then they live a quiet, simple life. Uh, uh, Stephen Pressfield talks a lot about a lot. Um, in he's got so many books turning pro, like the professional lives a simple life. And I started to realize that, um, And it's so natural because once you get in, there's so many things, right? There's so, so many, sh- there's so many shiny objects. You become obsessed with them. And I've been, I've been doing this for years now. So I've been obsessed with all these shiny objects. I'm slowly going to this next shiny object, this next best thing that's supposed to make me feel good. It's supposed to make me feel strong. It's supposed to solve all my problems. And you realize it doesn't. I don't think that's uh, an excuse not to go and pursue these things and increase your knowledge, but you do get to the point where you realize the things that are important are the boring stuff, the less tangible. Things, those relationships, right? Like, how's your relationship with your family? How's your relationship with your environment, with your work, with the people around you? And I, I think that's just like the biggest thing. Um, but at the same time, I don't think that just because you do that doesn't mean you can do the other side. Like, I'm still going through health rabbit holes all the time. I'm still experimenting with certain nootropics, peptides, all these things. I haven't used any peptides, by the way. Uh, but like experiment I haven't I haven't opened up Pandora's box of like true performance enhancing stuff because one I don't feel like I need it and two it's like it's it's a lot of work so anyway that's right. that's another conversation
1: yeah it's uh I, I I love this stuff I I find it so interesting because I'm I'm working as a health coach as well and uh I've I've worked as a, a public school teacher for a bunch um, of years and I I teach yoga. And I get to meet people on all different parts of their journey, whether it's, uh, you know, before they even realize that they're on the journey or about to start the journey, or uh, you know, if they're where I was, you know, maybe 10 years ago, or if they're beyond me and I'm trying to learn something from them, it's uh it's really interesting. And that, that community based factor is, is big. And I think like we were talking about before, being involved in things in work in communities that make you feel alive offer better choices or better opportunities to make better choices and that in turn i think will make it easier i guess to eat better foods or you know uh create better habits or uh, lifestyle choices so i think they, they go hand in hand and oftentimes we view things extremely black or white but it's much more nuanced than gray it always
0: is and that's a natural inclination especially in the western world because that's one of the biggest things i noticed going out east it was like wow people see things a lot more non-binary here it's not zero or one it's Mm. not black or white there's all this gray space it's not good or bad and i've really really focused on that ever since Now, the interesting thing that you say about kind of environment and how that dictates what activities are easier and harder to do, that's been like the biggest quote unquote hack that I've done ever is learning how to manipulate my environment, right? If I want an environment where I'm only going to work, I'm just going to use like my understanding of how my brain and how my body works to craft that environment where there's less friction for the things Mm. that I want to do. And there's more friction between the things that I don't want to do. If I'm trying to lose weight and if I'm trying to not have as much sugar, I'm not going to be in an environment where there's sugar everywhere. I'm not going to (laughs) bring cake into my house. Right. You know, and I'm like, it's so easy to, I should say it is a lot easier to change your external environment than it is to change your internal state. And I noticed that because I always had a tough time discerning my external state. I could do everything right, but I'd still wake up just like tired and foggy. Mm. And I just realized like, why not just change my environment? I know that I operate really well when I get a lot of sun. So why don't I go move somewhere that has a lot of sun? I know that I feel incredible every time I go in the ocean. Why don't I move somewhere that is really close to the ocean? Right. So it's like,
1: I like how you said that it's a simple perspective shift that because you're aware of the fact that you have an easier time changing your environment than you do, figuring out why you might feel the way you do on the inside that because you understand the relationship between the two you're just gonna do the thing that is more or just just that makes more sense and just change your environment uh and, and it, it is that simple it really is
0: it really um, is i think it is takes that with of humility that,
1: yeah yeah 100 percent. would that be the thing that you tell people to expedite the process that we're talking about
0: yep yeah, environment design is everything. Everything that I've ever done has been a byproduct of environment design because I'm not very, like, I am a creature of habit. I am a creature of intuition and I just do things. Right. And like, I don't have that good of willpower. I honestly, I think I can say that I don't have that good of willpower, mm. but I'm really good at crafting my environment and changing my scope and perspective of things to kind of hack that. And it just comes to a certain level of self awareness. Like, None of this would have been possible if I didn't spend six months really understanding who I was and just being an observer, right? You were mentioning meditation, some other things. That was a huge factor of like, how could I just observe my mental state? Because I was always unhappy with my mental state. I didn't like the... Uh, the way that I thought. I didn't like the way that I acted. And the best way for me to fix that was just to spend a period of time observing it without judgment and gathering all those data points and then using those data points to make more justified decisions. But yeah, the biggest thing has been just shifting my environment, right? It's as easy as like, man, I need to do some work right now. I know if I sit in this chair... I'm probably not going to want to do work because I have a TV in front of me. I'm in an environment where I'm normally relaxing and I have no accountability. So nothing's stopping me. There's no friction for me just going to YouTube. So what I'll do is I will go to a coffee shop where everyone else is working. And now there's this external accountability that I should also be working because that's what my environment Mm. is dictating. That is, it's about finding environments where your desired actions are held with praise and expectation by that environment, right? Right. And I'm sure you notice, you know, you're a jujitsu purple belt, which, which is incredible, but it's like the gym that you're in and the environment of that gym significantly changes the pace and format of your learning. Cause I hop from gyms a lot. Unfortunately, that's just what you have to do when you travel. And sometimes I'll be at a gym for a week and I will learn probably a, a few days worth of training. And then I'll go to another gym and I'll go there for three days and I'll learn as much as I did three weeks in that other environment. My cha- my training style will change, right? If I have a more aggressive game, I need to go to a more aggressive yeah. place. And like, it's just so important. And if you can just learn how to be an environment hacker, like just hack your environments, you can really kind of just, you know, cheat your way into getting those desired outcomes.
1: That's, that's really it. That's really it. I think you're hitting it on the head. And uh, I think this is something that a lot of us know and are aware of but I think you started to touch on it. The thing that holds people up is needing to have a little bit more humility to admit that you need to change things in your environment and to be aware that you might feel uncomfortable in a new environment at the very beginning, or at least at first.
0: Yeah, I, the reason that I bring that humility aspect up is because like I never had an issue with it. I just accepted that with the way that it was. I thought, if anything, it was kind of clever to change your environment. And I, I, I looked at it as something that was like, a good thing, right? Um, when I saw people doing that, I'm like, good on you. But I was talking to one of my buddies, kind of like, he, he's a guy younger than me. Um, And he's kind of like a little brother to me. And he's like, dude, like, I just can't focus. The guy's got so much potential. He like, he he's a videographer, and he works with Red Bull, like just crazy nice. potential. But he's like, dude, I just can't focus on these little things. And he has ADHD, as we all do. And I'm like, you should check out this app called FocusMate. You know, you set a timer, you schedule in the time, and then you connect with someone over a video call. And you have to tell them what you're doing; they'll tell you what you're doing, and it works really well. He's like, "Isn't oh. that is?" He's like, "Isn't that weak? Like, don't you think that's a little weak to do that?" I'm like, "No, like that's smart." Like, <laughs> <laughs> There's this, I don't know if it's like a self sovereignty thing where it's like, Oh, I don't need that. I think it's the same as the guys who like, I don't need supplement. I I don't need supplementation. Like I live fine without it. But like, I I think that's just like a, a mental thing that it doesn't get you anywhere. And I used to be stubborn like that. So I think I can come from that place as well. But stubbornness doesn't get you anywhere except for maybe like holding up your ego. But even then, I think it's a little bit of a fragile foundation to have your sense of self-worth being you don't need help or you don't need right. a changing environment.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I I completely agree. So what are some things after all of your experience and everything that you've learned, what are some things that are non-negotiables for you on a daily basis? I, <laughs> I used to have
0: a lot more non-negotiables. Um, you know, the funny thing is, I was really regimented right when I graduated college because I felt like I had to be. And I loved it. I just got obsessed with that compound snowball effect of habits. But I hit a breaking point where I got burnt out from what I was doing. I don't think it was sustainable because it wasn't balanced. I wasn't doing any socializing. I wasn't having any fun. To be fair, what I was doing at at that time was fun but i was in an, i was in a i was i was like building software in cybersecurity so it okay. wasn't it wasn't hitting that inner desire to do meaningful work for me it was a self-driven pursuit of improving myself and just using that as a proxy but in terms of like non-negotiables i had a huge list every single day but i completely changed my life and i reinvented everything Because I thought that my solution was to have no responsibility. My solution was to be able to do whatever I wanted every single day, wake up whenever I wanted and all that. Uh, Turns out that is a horrible pursuit. (laughs) Like I beeline, I beeline to what I thought my ideal life would be, right? It was working a few hours a week on a beach in a foreign country, driving a motorcycle. Like I had this picture perfect idea, driving a motorcycle, surfing, Mm -hmm. eating all this fruit, having like this incredible view every morning. And I did it and I got bored in a month. Mm -hmm. (laughs) so I to be honest I still don't have non-negotiables every day I think my biggest thing is like it's honestly this may be me personally but it's more just like an intuitive feeling and flow Um, I'd say the most important non-negotiables for anybody really just comes down to (laughs) I immediately just think sun and movement. Like I get sun and movement every day. I don't make it like a non-negotiable because it's just so hardwired to who I am. It's like, did I get my sun this morning? Did I get my movement in? And I guess maybe did I get my destimulation period in? So I spend every day, I spend an hour without my phone and I'll just go on a walk. I'll just go explore. And that helps when you're in a novel environment, but you can do it anywhere. Like you can just go for a walk anywhere. That's probably a big one.
1: I like, I, I like that because and I, again, I think that's the natural progression to try to have infinite amount of rules because you you might find security in the fact that, you know, if you have a ton of things in your morning routine or throughout your day that you have to check off, that that'll get you to where you have to be. Um, but like you, I, over time, I've realized that I operate better with the least amount of rules possible. And if I execute on them uh, with as close to 100% accuracy as I can. And, um, I don't, I don't have many non-negotiables either, but like you said, definitely if, uh, you know, if I could break a sweat in any way that I can, um, even if it's like, you know, if I have five minutes in between a class change and when my classes are going in in and out of the room, I'll, you know, do dips in one of the kids' chairs or something Mm -hmm. or push-ups or anything. Um, yeah, the sun is another one for me too. And I've seen a lot of people set themselves up for failure with trying to have too many of those non-negotiables or, you know, not realizing that they just have to make small shifts in their environment, like you were saying, in order to make massive change or create massive change over time. And I think when we're at the beginning of that journey or at the beginning of the hike, it's like it's cliche, but you look at the top of the mountain and you think that you need to do a million different things before you take that first step. But in reality, what we're talking about is really just take a few, a few different steps and that will offer a completely new opportunity.
0: Yeah. And I, you know, in terms of the whole adding and removing things from your routine, from what I've seen, and this isn't for everybody, you should add things into your routine one at a time. You should remove things from your routine sometimes all at once. I I found that like I work best when I have a Blake slate and I kind of optimize a lot of things too. At any given moment, I could just wipe my whole slate clean, right? Mm. Like I make sure that I always have opportunities that I'm keeping an eye on. I don't want to overcommit to anything, even if it's like rent, right? Like I, I think the longest I've ever leased a place, um, in the last year and a half was two months. And At at day day 45, I was like, give me the fuck out of here. (laughs) So, so, you know, I I think like that's something for me, it's like, really like get good at starting a blank slate. When I start accumulating bad habits, I'll just up and all up and leave. (laughs) Because like I said, you know, it's so much when you're in an uncomfortable environment, it is so much easier to do more uncomfortable things because you're starting from a blank slate, you're completely in this new environment. So it's like. If I get in a habit of like being on my phone before I go to bed, not doing work during the day, but rather watching YouTube, I will just go and like, maybe even just for a week, I'll just go somewhere else. And I'll just focus intensely on like, cool, start from scratch, a a fresh plate, like a fresh slate. That is so freeing for me. And then I'll just rebuild that life. And, you know, I think Jordan Peterson has a really good quote on this, where it's like plan for the day that you want to have. That's been a big one for me. It's just like, Mm. how can I make it more visual of like visualizing myself going through that ideal day? putting it down in a calendar. Even if I don't hit it, it I'll, I'll still be thinking about it and I'll be more likely to end up doing it. I would say have
1: it as an aim and just at least having that as a name is might be enough. Absolutely. So, um, and now shift, I, I wanted to also ask you about uh your incredible um squat video that you have with the <laughs> barbell as your pin tweet.
0: Yeah. So,
1: Were you always that mobile? No. Or or did you have to work on that? Because that's That's, truly incredible.
0: Dude, you know, it's so funny, because I got my mobility came from tearing my calf in Achilles Mm. tendon in a skiing incident. And that was the final straw for me, because my entire like high school, and yeah, my entire high school, I never reached my full athletic potential, because I always got injured. And once again, everyone's just saying like, you're just a weak man you're just you're just you know like that's just how it is you just don't have strong ligaments and shit um but the final straw was when i tore my calf skiing and i couldn't do anything for six months and like my they once again said that how how old were
1: you when you tore your calf 21
0: 21 22 yeah 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 i I was just i was it was like a, a month before my 22nd birthday Um, but anyway, so yeah, I tore my calf. I was, I was in a boot for ages. And after the boot, I just, I couldn't do anything I wanted to do. Like I couldn't do a calf raise with my left leg. I couldn't hike. I couldn't jump rope. I couldn't do anything. And once again, people say like, that's just the way it is. You're going to have to deal with that. Um, once again, I kind of refused. So that's when I just made that big psychological shift of how I viewed training before that it was all just about muscle mass. And people have to understand that, the more muscle you muscle is so much better at growing and recovering and strengthening than your ligaments and tendons. So a lot of times what people will do when they put on crazy amounts of mass is their muscles will be stronger than their ligaments and tendons. And that's why mm. all of these bodybuilders uh. always get these crazy injuries. So that's when I shifted to focusing more, not just on training my muscles, but training my ligaments, my tendons, my joints, structural stability and mobility, right? Because my goal was to be bulletproof. I wanted to be able to do anything and be able to hold my own and not have to worry about injuries. And then that's when I started you know, training jujitsu as well and cool. jujitsu and Muay Thai. And then that gave me a perfect justification to do it. It gave me a goal and a reason to spend all this time doing this mobility shit. So when I first started, the only times that I did mobility work was when I was working. That was back when I was like very much zoned in like early 20-year-old that was just like working all day. So I had a standing desk. I'd be doing like pigeon pose. I'd be doing like (laughs) Pomodoro every five minutes. I'd take every every 25 minutes. I'd take a five-minute break to do some stretches and the shadow boxing and stupid stuff like that. But um, that's how it started. I stopped once I started traveling because I wasn't able to train jujitsu a lot. I got a lower back injury. And that video, I just did it randomly one day because I was at a gym and like, once again, your environment dictates your actions. Everybody in that gym was a fitness influencer and they all were impressed with my mobility. I'm like, dude, I don't even train mobility. This is crazy. So I did that video, but dude, I look back at that video. I'm like, man, I I was pretty weak. Like I was was shaking while I was doing it. So I just, I don't think it's that important. I don't focus that much on mobility because I built that foundation and it's kind of just like hardwired into me now. But um, part of me wants to just go super hard at mobility uh just to like redo that video way better <laughs> with like 45s on the side of this dude i'm
1: I'm rooting for you to do that because i, I need to see <laughs> that. that that's truly impressive especially the pistol squats with with the yeah, barbell yeah. that was really cool yeah so even even your even your physical fitness was driven by your intuition right you could say right Even your, yeah so would you say that you you starting to train muay thai and jujitsu is also driven by intuition as well you just had a desire I was,
0: it 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 was like a hardwiring in me since I was a little kid. It's like I have this innate pull for the martial arts. Yeah, it's just I know like some people really like things. They like external things, right? Uh, that's why I like engineers, people who like cars and stuff like that. For me, it was always like the internal things. Like I cared. Even when I was like going down like the professional route, you have people that specialize in learning tools really effectively, right? They love technology. I just wanted to specialize in the basics. I wanted to get good at speaking, at marketing, at sales, at right. all those things that are core to me that no one can take away from me. Because if you get really good at learning how to run Facebook Ad Manager, what happens when, you know, that system is changed or when that no longer is a useful tool or it's updated? Uh, that, I, I just, that never sit well with me. And martial arts just seemed like the most core sport the core pursuit of like yes. physical performance. Cause at the end of the day, right? Like I think Joe Rogan talks about this or someone talks about this where it's like, you know, with other sports, you could like get your ass kicked in basketball and be like, yeah, whatever. Like I could still beat you in a fight. But yeah. with like martial arts, it's like, dude, that's the end all deal. Like that is the end <laughs> That's what
1: be-all. it is. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I do. I'm just always obsessed with it. But my parents, because I was a rambunctious child and they're like, we're not going to let you learn how to fight. Like, you're just (laughs) going to get in more trouble, which is ass backward logic. Um, But so that like I was just always obsessed with it. And like my entire life, I was priming myself to be a martial artist and then I just jumped in and once I jumped in, I just took off like wildfire and I was just, I was obsessed with it. It completely changed my life. It completely changed my entire approach. That's what got me to quit. <laughs> well, probably ill-advised. That's what made me leave tech. Because it's wow. like, how can I go from like, I was training at this incredible gym, uh, you know, the best gym ever, a lot of professional fighters were there. And it was just such a good environment. And I learned so much in a matter of eight months, like I went from nothing to like really, really just having such a core understanding of some of these arts. And I didn't, I could not justify go like living that double life going from <laughs> that of like fighting my ass off every day. And the beauty of jujitsu is you can go 100% every day and your right. body doesn't your subconscious brain cannot determine whether or not that grown ass male that is strangling you is doing it for fun or if he's actually (laughs) trying to kill you. So your brain and your body thinks that you're fighting for your life every single day. It's going to turn you into a different person. And I could not go from that to going back and working in cybersecurity where everybody's an analytical nerd. Every, no offense to my analytical nerd, (laughs) but like, I was becoming that person, that environment was causing me to become a certain person. And I didn't like who that person was. I liked who I was in the martial arts gym, I did not like who I was behind the computer on my zoom call, mm. you know, working with analysts and engineers all day. So that could that was really one of the biggest impetuses for like my life change. And it was a rough period because I don't know what I was thinking but it's like yeah I'm gonna quit tech and I'm just gonna train martial arts all day <laughs> um but yeah dude it, it was incredible did like, you I did just...
1: you start when you were in Thailand is that when you first started or no
0: because I was injured when I was in Thailand because were... I was oh, I was perpetually right. injured so and I was also I was I was a degenerate so I was busy <laughs> partying and going to nightclubs and exploring but I, I was just I was always obsessed with martial arts
1: I, I couldn't agree more. Martial arts has been an incredible vehicle for me in self development and making sense of the world. And uh what I've learned. So I I trained the striking martial art from 20 to 25. And then I started jujitsu four years ago at the end of this month, at the end of February. So when I was twenty eight. Um or yeah, twenty-eight. Uh so yeah. And uh, jujitsu, even more so than the striking martial art, like you said, you can go pretty much a hundred percent and um, the feedback is immediate. And me being an educator and uh, loving learning and being fascinated with the the process of learning and, and the art of teaching, I fucking love feedback and I love immediate feedback. And jujitsu, it's as immediate as you can get. It's, hey, this guy has his forearm underneath my throat it's either defend it or tap or i'm or i'm going to sleep it's that it's that simple and i better learn how to defend that or not end up in that position again or else it's just going to happen all over again for the next uh you know however many minutes left in the round um so it's it's been one of the best vehicles ever for me to really uh check myself and 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 like you said it's real life it's real life implications and I have a hard time, I don't know, maybe you can give me some insight on this. I have a hard time, I'm going to say this, I'm going I'm to try to word this nicely. I have a hard time <laughs> interacting with people who don't understand those real life implications and the seriousness of everyday issues, because jujitsu helps me put a lot of nonsensical issues and irrational things in perspective. Because I, I imagine or I remember what it felt like last night when I was being mounted and my face was pressed up against the mat with a sweaty belly, just like, you know, breathing <laughs> on me uh, and, and taking a peek at the clock and seeing like, you know, four and a half minutes left compared <laughs> like, you know, compared to, uh, you know, uh, one of my students, like, you know, giving me a hard time in class or, you know, my my wife and I getting into an argument or over mm-hmm. something simple. It changes
0: um, the way you interact with the world.
1: Yeah. So how do you keep, yeah, how do you stay aware of yourself and dealing with people that also don't understand that? I realize that there really are, are two
0: types of people like in this world. There's those that have been checked by reality, right? Okay. Those have yeah. that, that have gotten that reality check, whether it's through martial arts, whether it's through going through an, an extremely traumatic event that makes you realize like this is how the world works and then there's those who are not those who kind of have been able to live a life that they've been able to avoid any form of like hardship and i'm not saying hardship like i grew up in like like in some horrible environment absolutely not but it's like having those real world reality checks and i don't really like i i'm pretty good at not interacting with people that i don't want to interact with that's just like i used not that i ever had an issue with it i think that was like my biggest thing was like i was kind of able to interact with anybody but now it's just like i don't have tolerance for it right like i i don't kiss ass anymore like i just am very pragmatic about things i realized the biggest thing is before i trained martial arts i used to do a lot of posturing right i was loud i was aggressive and i realized that was a defense mechanism right the same way that like birds fluff up to look bigger. They don't do that to fight. They don't they do that because they don't want to fight. But once you learn Mm. the implications of fighting, and more importantly, how to have more control of a situation, you realize that it's meaningless to posture up like I, I have not gotten in any incidents since I learned how to fight of that would ever insinuate a fight. So I'm like, that is the last thing I'd ever want right. to do. Like there's no ROI on this. Um, you know, I'm and like, you also know that you can get your ass beat. Like yeah. people don't, people don't know what it's like to get your ass handed to you. Oh. And that is such an important reality check. You know, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face as Mike Tyson says. So I don't know. I think everybody should get punched in the face. I think everybody should learn that, If you've never fought, but you think you know how to fight, you don't know how to fight, and you need to get. uh, Because I remember I got hand my I got my ass handed to me by this uh, girl. She was a brown belt. Nice. I I thought she was just a you know, uh, an average gym goer. She looked like maybe she was an accountant. Turns out she's like the number five ranked female. Uh, featherweight fighter in Bellator. And wow. I've never been body like, like locked Damn. like that in my life, but man, it teaches you humility. It teaches you how to respect people above and below you. And I don't know. I think it's, I, I'm I'm a lot more practical about how I approach life and relationships like that. Now um, I'm a lot more straightforward. Uh, that's one thing I do notice. Like I, I'm definitely very straightforward, not mm. in a way that like, I can't sugarcoat things, but I just tell people things the way that they are, because w- because I feel like they need to be said. And I think growing up in Minnesota, kind of get this like passive, you know, you have to be nice. You have to always say sorry. You have to avoid. Nice. Her. Yeah. 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 Minnesota. Nice. And like learning how to break through that. I think martial arts was like the biggest thing. And I, I don't know how I can make that connection, but it's just it's changed the way. Like, I'm very honest with my friends because I want them to be honest with me.
1: And I, I would I would venture to guess that you traveling to different gyms forces you to check your ego even more. Because like we were talking about, if you're in one environment for a long time or too long, or you don't at least expose yourself to different environments, you'll never actually be able to make sense of yourself contextually within your own environment. So I'm sure you traveling from gym to gym or training at different gyms, different paces, I'm sure some gyms were more competition-based somewhere more hobbyist based. Um, What was that like? That had to have been pretty cool. It's very
0: frustrating. It's very, very frustrating traveling gyms because training martial arts is a time commitment. Like you're committing an extended period of time. And then, you know, I have to go and I have to buy a membership every time that I go and I'll come to a gym and sometimes it won't align with my desired training style. Mm. They aren't taking it seriously enough. Like I really like serious, high paced, full intensity training. And they're leisurely, the, the coach is on his phone, the, right. the professor's on his phone. There's not enough people to spar with. The way that they're doing it is just not what I like. And I, just, I get so frustrated. And I have to remind myself that like I can't change this. Like I have two options here. I either accept it and I find a way to work around it or I change my environment. But the most interesting that I thing that I found about traveling to different gyms is finding the balance between being very polite because they're welcoming welcoming me a foreigner into their gym, but also learning how to hold my own. Because like, when you come in, like, especially for me, like, I'm traveling around these gyms, I'm a random American, you know, and like, I, I'm like, pretty, like muscular for a martial artist, because I also focus on that aspect of things. So it's like, I look like the type of guy that you want to strangle and right. I, I have to find a way to be respectful, but also like hold my own and defend myself. And that has been a really big one for me. That's dude, I'll, tough. Yeah. I'll, I'll go to new gyms and I'll just, I'll get hot lapped. Right. Where yep. it's like, people yep. keep on picking me to roll. And like, if I go to a really advanced gym, like I'll just get my shit handed to me and I have to find a way to be composed, to be competitive without like letting that aggressiveness get the best of me. Cause there's been times where I've had that and like you get the gym beefs and then it's like, things get nasty. People are getting like, you know, you just get sloppy and that's when injuries happen. That's when like pride gets in the way. So like trying to find a balance of that, it's been an incredible experience for me.
1: I, I can relate to that a little bit. I'm sure you've been to more gyms than I have, but last year my wife is a theater performer and she was in a traveling show around the country and I was traveling with her for, um, a handful of weeks. And uh, I brought two geese with me and uh, I brought my rash guards and any place that we went to where I could find the gym, I was hopping in. And like you said, I had a similar experience where, you know, I'm looking at the schedule online, I'm emailing them ahead of time to try to see if I could pay for a membership. And then uh, no one answers, but I, I'll show up to the class, I'll take the Uber or the train or walk. And uh, the professor doesn't show up until, you know, like a minute before the class. And Everyone else is strolling in a couple minutes beforehand. Meanwhile, I'm used to at my home gym showing up 15 to 20 minutes beforehand to get like a sweat in before we even start our own warmups. Um, so it, w- it was interesting to see the stark contrast between the intensity and just uh, how people trained. And then I would end up a couple of times I ended up at strictly competition gyms. And uh, that was awesome because that was a wake up call. And like you said, I had guys that were looking at me saying, yo, let's roll. And uh, I would soon realize that they had competition, like, you know, maybe in two days or three days or that next following Saturday. And I realized these guys were using me to just see a fresh body, a fresh style, a fresh person, uh, you know, a new look. And um, I had to find that balance between not being ragdolled by the entire gym and not getting the shit beat out of me. And and also being classy and being respectful and wanting to be uh, someone that they'll welcome back in the future and, you know, mm-hmm. just be a good community member. And that was uh, an awesome experience. And I felt my jujitsu when I went back home to my gym level up even more just because I was in different environments. You need new
0: looks like yeah. new looks are so important, even if it's not the same caliber, just having like that change in environment. And I think, you know, an interesting thing, like an interesting phenomenon that I noticed with me in particular is if I'm not having a good day at that session where it's like we're going over the, dude, we, I was at this one gym and we did two hours, like an hour and a half of knee slice drills. Right. (laughs) And it was no key. So I was just getting sliced over (laughs) and over. And the guy kept on hitting me too close to the crotch, Like he kept on just slicing me and I was getting... So angry that like, I couldn't hold it. I was like, every time she said a new drill, I was just like, I was just, I I couldn't hold it. And then like, I let a lot of that out in the rolling at the end. Right. Where I just like, not in a bad way, but just like, I felt it. Like I wasn't being horrible to the guys. And then it, it was good because sometimes that anger works and it fuels you, right? Because right? when I was when I was rolling with guys who were my weight, it was fine, right? I just kept kept on getting them in like arm triangles and I just kept on getting them in guillotines which are kind of like my go-tos. <laughs> and then I roll with this 300 pound purple belt and just a big guy and he is playing my least favorite game where he just is pulling guard and he's catching me in <laughs> leg locks over and over and over again. And dude, I was so frustrated. I was so angry I just, I hated this guy I, I with all my might. He was a great, he was such a nice guy, but I just, I I hated him and I had to deal with that emotion and I had to think about it and ask myself, like, what can I learn from this? Right? Like, what can I get out of this? And I just, I had so much disdain for this person for no reason. Like I should have been grateful that he was just playing the guard game instead of smushing right. my ass. Right, 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 right. <laughs> But dude, I just I couldn't get over it, and it was just, I think it was good because that anger did push me right because I I just kept on getting leg locked, and I was like I need to figure out a way out of this. I just kept on pushing it, but it clouded my vision. I was if I would have came into that role happy and creative, I definitely would have found it found a way to float over him, and I probably I probably wouldn't have been able to submit him because he was a big boy. But at least I could have avoided <laughs> those leg locks and maintained a dominant position for a little bit just by floating. But I was just too angry and. Learning how to deal with that anger is something that Huge. I found really interesting because I don't think anger is a bad emotion. It's a good emotion. It's just not targeted the right way. So now when I get those feelings of anger, it's like, how can I recalibrate those to actually be effective? Because it's a powerful emotion, and if I can change, it? yeah, yeah, yeah. Like so, leveraging that anger, anger has been something of interest to me recently.
1: Dude, you're you're the man, and uh, I, I like you know, I if if we were in person, I feel like I could chat with you for hours about this stuff. Um, I feel like your knowledge is endless and I can relate to your curiosity, uh, a shit ton and my curiosity drives me. My intuition drives me. And, um, when I get that sense that someone is on that same path, I feel like I have to link up with them and at least have a conversation. Uh, so I, I really do appreciate you spending this time with me to connect and talk, um, is there anything that you're doing right now or doing soon that you want to let people know about or inform people on?
0: You know, I'm really just focusing on finding ways to interact more with people. So please interact on Twitter. Um, the Telegram has been a really big focus of mine. It's a free Telegram and we've got a great group of people in there just discussing these ideas on a daily basis. So I highly recommend that. Um, yeah, other than that, just hit me up there. But uh, Michael, I, should, uh, I appreciate I you saw- having me in.
1: I saw that you have a podcast too, as well.
0: Yeah. So I just started that, you know, that's honestly, <laughs> I, I'm going to be honest. I'm not as good of a question asker as I am a question getter. I'm really good at answering okay. questions. I'm not as good as ask a question. So that's what I'm working on there. Um, To be honest, like I'm at the point where it's like, I go back and I watch those and I'm embarrassed. So I am <laughs> no, working no, on I that as be. well. Yeah, no, yeah, no. yeah. So it's, it's, I have nothing to lose there, but yeah, check out the podcast as well. No Ryan podcast. And it's all about content this year, dude. It's all about improving communication and just getting these ideas out there in the world. Like that's what's meaningful work to me is sharing what I learned because whether I like it or not, like this is just what I'm focused on is just like being curious about how to improve life overall. So might as well find a way to help that benefit other people.
1: Hell yeah, man. All right. Thanks for coming on and uh, we will be in touch. Thanks, Michael. I appreciate it, man.